Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally, voidware prohibited, must be 18 or older to enter, no purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hey there, and welcome to a special episode of Hit Like a Girl Pod. We've been busy bees over here planning to hit the trails, to walk and talk with women across the country starting in May and continuing through August, so we haven't had as much time as usual to chat with our lady boss professional crushes. However, today we're bringing you something different. We're using our platform to share a conversation between two health IT pros. Kat McDavid is the Principal Advisor and Head of Public Affairs for Incena Communications, and she's interviewing her lady boss crush, Miriam Paramore, who's the President and Chief Strategy Officer at Optimize RX. These two share some great advice and lots of laughs, so there's no real need to keep you waiting. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Kat McDavid, and I am interviewing lady bosses for the Hit Like a Girl podcast. And we have our first guest, Miriam Paramore, who is my personal hero and someone who supported me throughout my career. She is the president and chief strategy officer at Optimize RX. And Miriam, I'm going to let you give yourself your intro because it's going to be better than anything I do. Okay. Hey, Kat. Thank you so much. Hi, guys. And I love Hit Like a Girl. I actually would recommend first out of the gate that everybody take boxing lessons. If you haven't, it's a great workout and it's a lot of fun. It's very empowering. But I've always, I've really appreciated, I want to give a shout just a little bit to Hems, which has been just a great place for me to be and be part of. We'll probably talk about that. But anyway, thanks to both of those groups for helping put this together and kind of get the word out. You know, kind of was thinking about like, what's my, you know, kind of story and how did I get to where I am? I, I'll start with my day job. So Optimize RX <laughs> is a health IT company and we are publicly traded on NASDAQ and we sit as a connector or a conduit between various people in the healthcare ecosystem. The focus of the company is affordability, access and adherence to prescription medication. So it's a something that is close to my heart. There's a lot of talk about health equity. We might get into some of that, but it really inspired me to take this position in terms of understanding how to use data to help people save money and then use my sort of techie geek background from the world of hymns and so forth to come into this role. And as president here, I've been here for about four years and chief strategy officer as well. And we've had a really good sort of market reception to what we do, which is making sure that doctors know 
what the price is of prescriptions and what the availability of copay coupons and other savings opportunities are, and that patients can get access to those drugs easily. And, you know, that's kind of our role. My career has been about 35 years and I started out like in the way back before computers. So we can, <laughs> we can talk the way, about way back, the way back in the way back. <laughs> yeah. I call the, you know, pre COVID the before times, like, when I used to shower every day. <laughs> <laughs> and we did, we, just so everyone knows, we did shower for this specifically today. Yeah, we did. I blew out, blew out my hair, put on some makeup, and, you know, this is a fancy day today. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, you know, I, I have had an interesting observation through the course of my career because I did, I started out as a programmer. My, my degree is in math and computer science. And I was listening to somebody last week talk at the Women Business Leaders Conference, which a shout out to Lynn Shapiro-Snyder with uh, Women Business Leaders in Healthcare, another great organization to learn from and be part of. But, you know, a couple of the folks were just saying, you know, where kind of where did they come from? And I grew up in the Southeast. I grew up in Tennessee and North Carolina, and my dad was a preacher. So right there, everybody that's listening to this is going, ah, <laughs> that's that's what's wrong with her. <laughs> But, I, you know, when I was raised in a super sort of a super small kind of environment and, and, and bubble, and I went to Belmont University here in Nashville, a small sort of liberal arts college. So nothing really fancy about that. I have an undergraduate degree in math and computer science and got out of school and went to work for HCA as a programmer. And, you know, from there, I did a lot of different things. But you know, one of the things I, I think is interesting is sometimes sometimes many of us sort of don't don't feel that great about maybe where we went to school or, you know, maybe we don't have an Ivy League or, you know, maybe we didn't come from Silicon Valley or, you know, wherever some of the, you know, bigger places, you know, that's okay. You can still, you know, kind of rise up. That's something that I've always thought was a great learning from you. And I want to get there. So, but I know you also have this like incredible career trajectory, right? Like you've done amazing things. So So let's cut back to that. But yet, so so you were a program at HCA and yeah. then suddenly you became president of Optimizer X. Is that how it happened? Is that how, that how it happened? <laughs> I was in a coma for 34 years and then I woke up. <laughs> I think of my career in kind of three sections. I think of it as sort of like, I just need a job, you know, right out of college and, and that one was available. And, and early in my career, I learned that I like technology and I'm good at it. I really like technology. I like data but what I like more than that is using technology to improve things in the healthcare system, the delivery of healthcare, or to solve sort of business problems. Mm-hmm. And as I got into a little bit further in my career, I got into management consulting at ENY. And from there, I kind of got a bird's eye view of multiple parts of the industry. And that was when I got really my first big break. One of my clients gave me opportunity to come in to be general manager of a revenue cycle company. And I took that job. And from there, I became the CEO of an Anthem subsidiary. And I was really young. I was like 30, 31 years old. Mm. But it was a big responsibility at that time. It was, you know, a wholly owned subsidiary doing all of the revenue cycle transactions, you know, all the EDI, all the claims uh, remittances, eligibility, all the kind of HEMS-esque kind of commerce of healthcare. And gave me an understanding, this was in the early 90s, of the revolution, really revolution, transformation from paper-based claiming to electronic claims and electronic eligibility verification and electronic payment. That was kind of a big, kind of a step up from 
And yeah, it sounds wild. Yeah, All of a sudden you're, you're leading, you're leading, you're, you're leading yeah. a business. Yeah, I was running, yeah, I was running this little, you know, it was a small business in relative terms, but it was part of a very huge company. And, and that's, that's how I got to Louisville, Kentucky from Indianapolis, where uh, the headquarters of Anthem was at the time where it worked. So it was an interesting, and I met one of my first mentors, Sheila Schweitzer, who was just leaving that job to go and do some other things. And she's been a mentor and stayed with me. You know, she's a serial entrepreneur, very successful in health IT. And she gave me lots of good advice kind of as she was leaving and going on to her next thing. And then from there, I, I had my first sort of personal kind of crisis where I had a lot of changes in my personal life. I got divorced. I had two small sons. Mm-hmm. And I really had a, you know, sort of existential, I'm not sure I can, you know, manage all these things that are going on in my life right now. And I I took a really big risk and I left that sort of prestigious job in a, in a big company and I, I just left and I didn't have a net to jump to. But, but what I did know was that I needed to sort of get myself together and focus in on the balance of my personal and professional life and, and being a single mom, which was sort of really different from where I thought I'd be when I made that move to Louisville. And I need to, I needed to marshal my resources in a different way than maybe I had done before. It was a big life change. I had just moved to a new city, got divorced six months later, you know, just a lot of change. Yeah. That change taught me that, you know, when you, when you have skills and knowledge and a good network, which are some of the other things that we'll, we'll talk about today, you know, you really can drive your own destiny and you can make decisions that somebody else would say, well, you're insane to, you know, nobody does that. Nobody walks away from that or nobody goes and does this. I didn't do it because I was brought, you know, all that smart, but I did it because I knew I needed to, and it's knowledge that I needed to make a change. I also had this knowledge that I had, this knowing that I had knowledge and I could make a path for myself. Mm-hmm. And specialty knowledge and a strong network of relationships I had built up over the prior probably 10 years or so. And I think it's a little bit similar, Kat, in a way to when you started in Senna. You know, you were with an v- extremely well-known agency and very well-known within that. But I remember that time maybe was that similar <laughs> for you. Yeah, I think this is something I'd love to actually talk about a little bit because I think these big moves, I know a lot of women can struggle with them, right? Not only is it like, you know, the classic imposter syndrome, can I do it on my own? Like, is this going to be okay? But I think that, um, and and I've spoken about this too, and and you helped me through that period a ton, even just by being there on the phone with me when I was like, just talking at you, right? But I think what I've learned from that period is exactly what you're saying. If you have the skills and you have the network and you have delivered results, I yeah. think you can do anything. Agreed. And I think that what I learned as being like at that time in my life, not a very trusting person, right? Never really thinking other people were going to pick me up, right? And I fell backward. I did the trust fall and everybody was there for me, right? And I think, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah I think that was awesome. Yeah. You know, when uh, everybody that hasn't worked with Kat, she's, she's one of the best in the industry, if not the best, she is the best PR um, I paid her for all of this. <laughs> so I drug her into all these other businesses that I did after I left. But, you know, the, I just tell you that I'll fa- kind of fast forward. So that was kind of the middle section of my career. I'll come back to that. And then the last section of my career has been, you know, so I went, I had my own consulting firm for about seven years. I focused on HIPAA and, you know, technology sort of transformation around the ledge reg. 
And one of my really good friends, George Lazenby, who I had met through HEMS and mm. done volunteer work with for years around data interoperability, standardization, data transparency, uh, the power of data, which is where my passion is. He became the CEO of MDON, which is now Change Healthcare. And I was his uh, fortunate enough to be his first executive team hire. And I didn't think I'd go back into a big business at that point. It's kind of having fun and, you know, sort of doing my own thing and very loosely defined in terms of, you know, nobody else's agenda but mine. But I, I had such, a, he gave me such an extraordinary opportunity to come in and run strategy with him. And we had an incredible run. We, we took the business from about 600 million to 1.2 billion. We took it public. Um, it was the largest health IT IPO at the time. In running strategy for that group and looking across all sectors, I got even more exposure into health plans and how they work, hospital systems, practices, retail pharmacy, you know, PBM, the back end, and really what does it take? What's the data plumbing that kind of goes under all of that? And then you don't just have data for the sake of data. You hope that you can transform it into information and make it useful um, yeah. and improve our healthcare system. So I left MDON after we sold it. We took it back private and sold it. And then in the last very, you know, kind of seven years of my career, I'd worked a lot with venture and private equity companies. We did a lot of acquisitions, but I'd not been an angel investor. So I'd never written my own checks with my own money to put into somebody else's business idea. Mm. So I got, I helped start a group here in Nashville called New Cura Partners. I was one of the first members there. And it's a bunch of individual people like me who have, who are former operators or operators of businesses, not people that come from a traditional investment banking background or went to right. business school. And um, we started uh, this angel investment group. So I've done, I think, five investments now. And uh, one of the companies is out of business. <laughs> the, the other four. You some, you lose some, right? <laughs> uh, I uh, have the pleasure of doing this day job and that I got, I met Lynn Voss, who is on our board of directors, who ran uh, one of the largest agencies in the world focused on life sciences. Hmm. And I just met her at a WBL standing in the hall, you know, and that's one of those things. It's a great value of networking. You don't underestimate it because you never know who the person you're standing next to is. And she was like, oh, this is what I do. And I said, well, this is what I do. And she said, you know, that sounds a lot like this company on the board. You should meet the new CEO. We're going to build a management team. And so I did. And I, from there, I really loved the idea of really helping data to surface all of these affordability options for patients to help them afford their medications and, and get access to them quickly. And, you know, that that's this part of my career. And, and as I move forward, maybe into fourth chapter of my career, it's really about le finding leverage for myself. So one way to one way to do that is serve on boards. And I, I do have one health IT board that I'm on, private equity backed uh, company. And this is where, you know, you're quite a bit older than you. But when, so it's been 35 years for me in healthcare. And you just you learn a lot. And so, you know, you know, a number of things and then you can help. You can help other companies that are at different stages and you can help people, people that are trying to start something, mm -hmm. things like you're doing with the fund that you just started. You can make choices. You have right. the, you have what I call optionality, 
Whereas sort of earlier in your career, you're just trying to earn a, a living. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree with that. And, and, I, and I love where you're going. I love some of the ideas you have for your phase four. I think it's awesome. And, and, and I, I, I want to go back to talking about the power of a network. Because sometimes, you know, you, you hear these podcasts or whatever, and you're like, oh, networking, blah, blah, blah. And it seems so academic. But it, in, in my career, and I know in yours, based on what you're saying um, and what you've shared with me, like, I would be nowhere without a network. Right. And it sounds a little bit contrived to say, but yeah, those hallway conversations, you know, drinking a glass of wine at the bar, you know, just meeting people in an airport, right? I think that those kind of run-ins, those more casual run-ins have like honestly altered the the direction of my career. Yeah, I agree. And I would say that, you know, for one of the biggest sort of strengtheners of my entire career has been HIMS. Mm. You know, HEMS is a, a fantastic organization. It's just like anything else in life. And it does sound cliche. You, you get out what you put in. Yep. And so it, many times I, I would have my staff, I would, as I build teams in different companies, I would say, you know, part of your job is to volunteer some of your time to work on something at HEMS. And, you know, you don't go in there saying, you know, I'm going to be the star of this, you know, new show. I want to be the chair of this committee. Right. You go in and you just raise your hand and you say, how, how can I help? You know, and if you're the person that needs to be, you know, set up the chairs for the meeting, that's kind of where you start. And, it, and uh, that is where I started. And you do work. And from there, you make connections with those committee members. You, you know, you, you really have to intentionally work this network. So it's, you know, there is random stuff and sometimes random stuff leads, it serendipitously leads to something. But more often, it's really tending to relationships as if you really want that relationship to, to know, that person to know you value knowing them. Right. Know, without right. having to ask. Yeah. And you just said something that I think is really important. That it's how do I work this network? It's almost how do I work for this network? Yeah, right. And, and we, we, yeah, we've talked about this in the past too. And I feel like it, with me, I feel like the more that I put in, the more that I give, the more that I have. Yes. Right. And it's definitely not why you don't go, Hey, I'm going to go, you know, volunteer right. and I'm going to put all this in because I expect to get an amazing amount of stuff out. I mean, you really have to care about people. Otherwise it's, it's not authentic. That's right. Right. Yeah. It's not authentic. And that, you know, I do think, though, that sometimes just working, you know, if you really work, show up, if you show up, people respect that. That's a lot of it. And then no one has the capacity or the time, the energy to network with everybody. So you have yep. to pick people, but you find energy to, you know, widen that circle. And HIMSS has been a great organization, Women Business Leaders, which I mentioned, yep. using LinkedIn strategically and don't ask for more than you give. I mean, give more and then you're going to get back, you know, and, but you don't know exactly how, you know, it's going to show up, but it will, it will. And just it kind will. of attention to people and, you know, it's important and you can, you can follow them, you can care about them, you can help them. And um, it, it definitely comes back comes back yeah. for sure. I completely agree with you. And so, I mean, so we're talking about networks, we're talking about putting in the work and being, you know, just, just doing, doing the job and getting things done, even if it's not for your actual day job. And I want to go back to the discussion on education 
because yeah. this is this is something that I I I gained a lot of confidence in my own career from hearing you talk about this. And you know, I I have like kind of worthless Bachelor of Arts degrees, like in yeah. religion and politics, like what? And I've made it quite far in a in a technical field, right? And yeah. you always talk about you talk about those little degree you have from Belmont. Belmont's actually a very good school. I'm not sure if you checked in lately. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I was there a long time ago. You know? Okay, okay, maybe it wasn't that good back then. I don't know. But, but you, you know, you yeah. talk about oh, you know, I don't, I don't have an advanced degree. I didn't go to Harvard. You know, and you have really good advice. I think that I'd love for people to hear about about being in that position and and what you, the, the doors aren't closed to you necessarily. You just have a different path. That's true. I, I'll say that I, you know, for a long time, I really had a little bit of a pity party for myself because I didn't go to a big school. I do think it's a little bit, it's probably a little bit harder. And the reason is that when you do go to a renowned name school, they have a lot of built-in networks. You know, yeah. you'll see a lot of people do business together. Well, we went, we were in business school together. Well, I learned, I didn't even know what that meant, business school. I thought, well, what is that? You know, years ago, <laughs> you know, it usually means you know, Harvard or Stanford. Like, what's you know, a- B school. They have to go to the B school. Like, oh yeah, I went to one of those school. Are we, are we talking about a tier B school? Because I went to one of those, right? <laughs> exactly. I didn't. I mean, you don't. I didn't know. I was young. I didn't know what it meant. That's part of the value of that education that people pay for. You do come out of that. You have that camaraderie. Everybody's going to rise up, and so you know, you know, kind of, you know each other. You can create the same thing for yourself regardless of wherever you get your education or even if you don't have an education. There are a lot of people that don't have, you know, a college degree that have done amazing, you know, world-changing things. So where it, I let it be in my own head, I let it be a limiter to me for, for a while. And then I got to the place where I was like very defiant. And I was like, you know what, in spite of the fact that I didn't, you know, have a, an Ivy League education, but now I look at it just a little bit more philosophically, and I, do, I want to encourage everyone that regardless of what your formal education is, lean hard towards lifelong learning. I used to hear that, and I would think, oh, that sound, I don't know what that is, but I don't want to do it. Lifelong learning. <laughs> but, then, but then I found out that I actually do it anyway. And one of the things, ways that I do it is I'm very intellectually curious. So something that I'm learning about recently, just through my network is genomic medicine, how genomic medicine, genomics are coming into healthcare service delivery, the field of pharmacogenetics, which is the yep. you know, intersection of our genome with a, very, you know, a specific uh, pharmaceutical. Super fascinating new frontier, next frontier of how medicine will be practiced. And so I'm curious about that and I read about that and I learn about it. It doesn't really do anything in my day job, but it's fascinating. And then the other thing that I've really done is work on my business skills. And some of my mentors helped me with this. Like they would say, hey, listen, you're not an accountant, but if you're going to run a company, you need to understand financial statements and you need to be able to understand what the numbers mean and what what's behind the numbers. And you really can run a business backwards from a spreadsheet if you know what the numbers mean, because the results always show up in the in the numbers. Mm. And then you can trace back to, you know, what's driving these. So I had to, you know, seek that sort of MBA-ish, financial-ish sort of knowledge differently. But I needed that knowledge and nobody just gives it to you. So, you know, that was sort of an OJT there are just lots of educational opportunities and just don't allow yourself to think you're never, we're all never done learning. 
but you can round out your own, sort of what I have learned, round out your base education with some of the other things that you may need to run a business mm-hmm. or to have deep subject matter expertise. You know, in your case, you're, you're one of the most content-rich people I know in terms of the health IT and health tech. That industry, you know that industry, cold. But you don't have a degree in that industry. <laughs> I right? sure do not. <laughs> but you have applied your skills and just continue to learn. So I do think that's, that's been a big help for me. Yeah. Big part of my life. Yeah, the, on the job, and then this this we'll call it lifelong learning because it, you know it might it might make us squint a little, but but yeah, no, I agree. I I think as long as you can, as long as you put in the work again, as long as you have a little bit of grit and and you're curious, right? I think that that you can go really far. So this could turn into my love letter to Miriam Paramore. So I'm gonna try I'm gonna try not to do that, but I would like to talk about your your superpowers. Sorry to interrupt, I wanted to take a moment to personally invite you to join us on a hike this summer. As we get vaccinated and things start opening up in a safe manner, we're looking for healthy ways to reconnect with ourselves, with each other, and with nature. So with that in mind, Sharice Maynard, who's a key member of the Hit Like a Girl pod team, she does a lot of behind-the-scenes work for us, and I will be taking a 90-day road trip. We'll be hosting hikes in beautiful, bucket list-worthy locations, and we start off in May with a hike in Joshua Tree National Park in California, and we're going to be making our way through the southern states over to North Carolina so that we can reconnect with Robin. From there, we're going to head up to New England and then start moving back west but taking the scenic route. We're going to travel through the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. We'll be visiting Mount Rushmore, the Rocky Mountains, Southern Utah, and then end up in Vegas for Hymns 21 in August. And so our route and event guide is up on our website if you want to check it out. We would love to see you out on the trails. So check it out. It's at hitlikeagirlpod.com forward slash events. We are also raising money for Girls Who Code to help more young women get into STEM careers. So we are really trying to think outside of the box and be the change we want to see in the world. Okay, back to Kat and Miriam. You know, this is like another one of these contrived things you hear on like a, a women's empowerment podcast or something, but there's there's some truth to it, right? And I think there's there's truth to knowing what you're good at and leaning into it. So tell me, Miriam, so that I don't have to turn this into the Kat McDavid Loves Miriam show. What are your superpowers? <laughs> well, you know, it always makes me a little uncomfortable, but let me try to answer that sincerely. I think that my superpower is strategic thinking. I seem to have the ability to look at a very complicated set of facts or a very complicated set of industry movers or markets or or activities and connect all the dots very quickly in a way that other people may not. And I think that skill combined with my very deep knowledge of healthcare and healthcare tech allows me to be of uh, service to people that are trying to invest in companies, people that are trying to build companies or take a product and turn it into a business. And that's probably the thing that I'm the best at. And on the flip side of that, I was listening to the, some people talk about their superpowers last week because it is you know, kind of a thing people do. Yeah. I ask, well, why don't we ever ask what's your kryptonite, right? We always just ask- Listen, what, we'll get to that. That's one of my favorite topics. 
But to me, they're connected and I know they're connected for me personally. So part of my superpower and part of what's gotten me to where I am is I have a pretty good clock speed on that, that mental clock speed that goes along with what I was just saying. So I can see the end and see the conclusion pretty quickly. And then I put on top of that some pretty rapid fire, pretty transparent slash blunt slash. (laughs) I love your direct style. So very direct, very direct. Thank you. And I think that's okay. I I have taken a fair amount of criticism through the years. I do think there's some gender stuff going on with that. But a lot of that criticism is constructive and fair. And there it becomes my kryptonite. So I would say that my my favorite saying, I, I say this often, is that weaknesses are strengths overplayed. So, you know, just as an example, if you're confident, that's a strength. But if you overplay it, you can become arrogant. That's Mm -hmm. a weakness, you know. So for me, when I go too fast, when I'm frustrated or tired, when I'm emotional rather than, you know, dispassionate, my direct and blunt communication, it's just not, it's just less appropriate than it could be, you know. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) uh, Yeah. And, you know, it can piss people off. It can turn turn them off. But what I've learned is that it's also great because it just cuts through everything and it can and save a lot of time. And it's something that I appreciate about you that I would never, I don't want to be surrounded by people who take a long time to say something. You know, I was always like, get to the point. That's a nice way to say I, it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And I don't want to be surrounded by yes people. And if, if someone, if you know the answer is no, tell me no. And I'm going to be grateful that you told me quickly. So I love to get to a fast no rather than a drawn out maybe, you know? Yeah. So it's taken me a long time and I still still struggle with it a little bit, but it's taken me a long time to, to just say, look, that's who I am. That's how I communicate. And, and if it comes, you know, as I try to harness that a little bit, Kat, and kind of smooth that out, I'm sometimes I'm better than others. And sometimes I'm just not, I'm just not that good at it. And I have to say, hey, guys, mea culpa, you know, I can't be a different person than I am. And so I have to embrace that. But I also have to adjust, you know, for the audience. I think we talked about this a little bit last time that it's really important to think about who your audience is in all of your communication. And sometimes I just forget you know. Yeah. Well, well, me too. Me too. I think um, you and I have a similar uh, superpower slash kryptonite. And I've learned that more about myself now that, you know, I just, I just came off this journey of being actually employed as an executive at a company that, that exited very well recently. And it was different, right? I mean, uh, when you're a consultant, like you're, you're kind of paid, paid to be in charge, right? Everyone expects you yeah. to be in charge. And, yeah, and that's true. You, that's know, true. you don't have to blend in with, right? You don't have to blend in and you're allowed to be shiny and weird, right? And, uh, and you can, you know, you wear your weird earrings and whatever. And I, I think in, in a setting where you're part of a, a true team and we have teams and agency, but like it's a little bit different, right? But when you're yeah. part of a real executive team, you know, and I'd have an idea and I, you know, I'd be like, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, and, and I would just say it, even if it was counter to everyone else, I would just say it. And I'd be like, I'm right. Like, why aren't they just doing what I'm telling them to do? Right. Cause I was so used to just being like, Here's what's yeah. happening, right? What you hire me for, right? Right, exactly. and similar. I mean, and I would say, like, I didn't actually ever learn how to do it that well, <laughs> but I was trying a little bit. Maybe no one could notice. I was trying to be like, here's my idea. 
what do you think? <laughs> Instead of like, that's wrong. <laughs> and exactly. And you know, I, I love that about you. I mean, I, I love that about you. I mean, it's, it's sort of the fit, almost the efficiency aspect of communication. Yeah. If you, you want to get the job oh, done. You know, and it, it, it kind of goes back to the clock speed. Sometimes it can be counterproductive. I do want to take just a minute, if it's okay, this will kind of connect to the, the education, the things that you, you learn. And I have seen with this hit like a girl kind of thing in, in mind, hmm. I've seen that, that women leaders generally are more direct than a male leader. That's my experience in their hmm. communication style. And the thing that kind of makes me angry still is that I know this has been assigned to me, well, you're intimidating you know, you're intimidating. And it's that strong male leader, you know, strong men are leaders, strong women are... Put a nasty whatever, word. Leave it out, whatever. And we'll bleep that out. <laughs> and that's frustrating because the in, in the early part of my career, I'd say probably the first half of my career, Kat, I did not see myself walking into a meeting as a woman. I saw myself walking into a meeting as a coworker. Mm. That's really true. In my mind, I wasn't thinking of myself as a female human. I was thinking of myself as a colleague. Right. What other people were seeing was that's a woman and maybe, and she's a colleague, you know, they might, right. they might be fine, but they were, and I wasn't aware enough that at that point that there was a lot of, of gender sort of differences around how people think of strong women. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that's intimidating is code for you're too strong or too opinionated or, or too something. Whereas with male counterparts, I've, I've seen that not be the case as much. And I raise that not to sort of have, a, let's all feel bad about that. But if you're aware that other people may not be as you know, thoughtful as you are, there's a lens and it used to like really hurt, my, I mean, like really hurt my feelings mm. because I thought, wait, doesn't, you know, I thought that we were all in the yeah, locker room. We're all, we're all hanging out. We're all the same. We're in the locker room, you know, kicking stuff around and here, you know, here, you know, these are ideas and, but that wasn't the case a lot of the time. And, and now I'm a little bit better at sensing it. And one of the great things about getting older is sometimes I don't care at all. I just don't. <laughs> right. you know, like, okay, call me whatever you want to call me. Put in the adjective, put in the descriptor. You know, I don't care. I, I'm totally with you. I, I've, uh, you know, earlier in my career, I didn't, the same thing. I didn't really think about it. I, I didn't. And also I was in a female dominated industry, right? Public relations oh, yeah. agencies are, there's a lot of women. But at some point, the company invested in coaches for some of the executives. And so I got one and this coach, it was actually very, listen, if anyone has any, a chance to do that, it was really helpful for me yeah. because you don't know how other people perceive you. And this, this coach right. told me, oh yeah, this coach told me, he said, uh, he's like, you intimidate men specifically did not say I intimidate. Now I'm pretty sure I intimidate both, right? I, I don't think I've, <laughs> but I especially mean, for clients, right? You intimidate men and you need to develop some sort of disarming device to your personality, right? And so I think what happened is I've developed kind of this like, 
ah, you know, like just, you know, my style is very like, I'll joke around and I'll tell a bunch of bullshit jokes and then I'll like go for the jugular. Right. And I'm, I'm still not sure it works, but it's, but, but people tell me that I have that all the time. And I'm like, Oh, I, that, that was like a, a decision that I made with someone else to try that. And I guess I was like a one hit wonder and never tried any other tools to, to get around it. And I think back and I get mad too. I'm like, why did I even have to do that? Right. But I think, you know, especially in consulting, I mean, you have to pay attention to some of those things and you do. And, you know, we're all, I, I just, it brings to mind that, you know, people do business with people that they like. Mm. So, you know, you have to be always conscious of, you know, we're, you're never kind of trying to do it to be mean, but you, you could offend somebody. And I do offend people when I like get too excited and I'm running my mouth and, you know, come up with ideas and, you know, I like to goof around. I like to laugh a lot. And sometimes people don't think my jokes are funny and, you know, okay, well, but I, you know, I just think that for all of us, all of us that are listening, all of us that are out there every day, there's something about who we are that someone else is not going to like. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. just life and it's okay. And if I were not, you know, if I kept trying to edit myself back too much, Kat, I would just be, you know, kind of shriveled away to, you know, maybe a shadow of myself. And I don't want to, I don't want to do that. We, we all should be ourselves. I do think that your idea of, you know, sort of a, a sweet, not a sweetener, but a disarmer, things like that, feel out your room. That's some really good advice, you know, feel out your room and try to really understand where people are coming from to the degree you can. Fortunately, it's not that hard. And I do want to say that, I mean, it takes practice, but I didn't know where the room was. And I've talked to you about this. Like it's one of my favorite Miriam yeah. stories. <laughs> yeah. So I used to think what I wanted to do was I wanted to get into the you know position of authority. I want to have a voice. I want to be a leader. I want to be a decision maker. And they're all for in some room somewhere. I, you know, and there's the board, there's the board room. And then there's the executive conference room. I'm like, where are these rooms? And how do you get into these rooms? <laughs> right. And, you know, who is in there? And most of the time in my career, when I found the room, I was the only girl in there. And that's my you know, book I'm going to write, The Only Girl in the Room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there really is this, is, this is really true. And all the statistics about women CEOs, women on boards, you could go to any measure and we're making tons of progress there. But there is a built-in 2,000-year head start in the patriarchy society that we have, minimum 2,000 years. Yeah. And then you come out, when you talk about education, if you're coming out and you're having, you know, 90 to 95% of the folk in that class are, you know, male. You talk about like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, one of my heroes, you know, she was, she got her degree her, her, her law degree at Harvard, no one would hire her as a lawyer. And she had, you know, she was the only woman in the class and all of these things. That was only 50 years ago. Right. It wasn't that long ago. And so, and girls in STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, math, we don't have enough female representation. So the pipeline comes out. And if you've got this fraternity sort of thing going, you know, somebody knows where the cigars are and where the room is. And like, they're like, oh, come on. And we went to B, B school together. Oh, you know, oh, you're my B school friends, you know, son. So it took me a long time to, you just, it's a, you have to meander around to find where the room is. And then you have to earn the right to be in there. Right. And, and that's just about earning and, and having the merits, you know, to really kind of be a contributor at that level. 
And we can absolutely do that. Does it take a little bit more effort? Yes, but there is there are people who have a lot of intention around uh, even NASDAQ now for publicly traded companies. They're counting female representation on NASDAQ traded companies. These are important, very big breakthroughs that we're making, but you got to, you got to find it and nobody's going to tell you where it is. You got to find it. Well, exactly. So, so we were talking, we were having kind of a casual, like fun conversation a few weeks ago, Miriam, and you you said something to me that that I love. And you said, you know, Kat, women don't have the book, right? We we don't have, we don't have a book. Right. And I think, I think what's, what's awesome about you and, and, and some others uh, who are mutual friends of ours is that you guys, you have figured it out, right? You have found the room. You've got a seat at the table. Didn't even know, didn't even know what those seats looked like before you got there. Right. And you, and you have been the only girl in the room, but the great thing about you is you're, you're kind of sharing the book, right? And it might be chicken scratch on post-it notes, but yeah. you're sharing the book. Yes. Um, and yeah. I think the, the more women that get into those positions and, and, and do the hard thing, I think the easier it's going to get. Again, I think this this little TV show we're doing here, I think, is evidence of that, right? Like, how can we help other people do that? Yeah, well, I thank you. And it's one of the joys of my uh, life, you know? I've been working with sort of women empowerment efforts now for uh, about 15 years. And I got to set one up inside of MD On, and it was an affinity group and just an overwhelming response because that people want to know where the room is and they want to, they want to know and they want to succeed. And, and people are coming from all different kinds of backgrounds and education and ethnicities and countries. And, you know, sometimes just basic language is a barrier. You know, there's multiple things going on here. You know, and I'll never forget, we had our first uh, Women of MD on meeting and we had a little breakfast and there were over 200 people that came there. We just had some breakfast and 200 women show up we did this sort of speed dating thing where we could just sort of talk to people in little clips of times. There's so many people. This one lady came up to me and, and she's, you know, we had 4,000 people in the company, so I didn't know her, you know, and she worked in like one of the customer support areas and she came up to me and uh, sort of English as a second language. So she had a strong accent and she said, I'm just so, so glad to meet you. So nice to meet you, meet these other women. She said, I'm the first person no, he's, I'm the first woman in my family to go to college. Mm. And then she said, I'm the first woman in my family to even have a job. Wow. The home. And I mean, I was just like, she was so emotional about it because for her to have stepped into these realms where her own you know, family had not stepped into these realms and she got the education and she made the choice. It was just so moving. And so just connecting her to other women so that we can just help and energetically raise each other up. It's a great joy. And that's why I love these sorts of venues. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, we can take a punch. We can deliver a punch, you know, too. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, great. <laughs> that's correct. And I've shared this with you before too, but I've often, I've often been told that if, if someone comes at me with a punch, I block it and then punch back and then trip them a little bit later to show them. Right. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, something we all have things to work on, whatever, whatever. I get it. There's a, you know, there's a good lesson there that, you know, it does, it pays, it, it really does pay to be, to be strong. We have to be strong. And I think that comes from an, an inner knowing. So like kind of know your, your strengths, but also know your kryptonite and then say kind of that's okay. You know, I mean that like bleep, but you have to be able to 
pull this all in and say, I'm okay with this. And then I'm like, okay. This is me. I right. can. I can right. be I'm this. okay with this and I can, I can take the ups and downs, but I'm going to make it and then, you know, ask for help if you don't know, and then you can, you know, just continue to move sort of as you go along, but you have that authentic strength because it, it is coming from inside you, but we don't have to be defensive. And that's, that's one of the things I'm learning. There's a difference between sort of being strong and having that confidence and being defensive which to your point earlier has been something that has happened to me where I've been sort of defensive because you, you know, you're just one down, mm-hmm. you know, you're one down and you're kind of like, it's kind of like my experience when I talk to people from the Northeast, you know, it's like, well, yeah, I'm just, I'm Southern. So, you know, I don't know. Right. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have these like area, like maybe you go in and I, most women don't feel this way anymore, but maybe you feel intimidated when you go in, if you're the only girl in there, you know? Yeah. And so if you feel that way, then you can be sort of like, mm, you know, you can be sort of defensive. Yeah. Um, I call that so like pulling the razor blades out of your scrunchie, you know, like maybe that's just, yeah, you can just and, and that ener- people can feel that energy, but you do want to be strong. And so those are things that we learn. I think as we, as we get a little more mature, you said something the other day to me about, which I wanted to kind of mention about just watching other women do. Let me talk about that. Cause this is, this might, you got to stop me if this turns into a love letter again, but, and I've talked about this publicly about, you know, people ask me like, Oh, how'd you get where you got blah, blah, blah. And one of the greatest gifts of my career honestly has been not even, I mean, your friendship has been amazing. Let's be clear, but just having the opportunity to watch you. And so for everyone, I met Miriam when she was in this, this strategy role at Emdeon and she was like big deal lady boss. And I was, you know, beginning my career, uh, so to speak. And I saw her in meetings, just little things that I think I wouldn't have otherwise known how to deal with. And so if she was spoken over um, by a colleague, male or female, only girl in the room. So most likely it was male, but just have, watching her gracefully say, I'm not done speaking and continue on was those little things I think are so valuable for other women to see and, and see the reaction and say, that's okay. And I can do that, right? I can mimic that. It's been phenomenal. And even kind of watching you, you know, move through your career and take on different positions and the choices you've made and the no's that you have said, right? That's been important for me to watch that what you have said no to has oh. been more impactful for me than what you've said yes to. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's really interesting. Thank you for that. And I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> Kat, it means a lot to me, you know, coming from you and I and coming, just really coming from you because I have so much respect for, for what you do and how you do it. And I, I'd say also that I want to share that it's, it's great to be a fan of each other. And you know, it is it's very it, nice. <laughs> you know, I mean, it is. And, and I, people have talked about a lot, you know, sort of, do women support other women or are they tearing each other down or mm-hmm. fighting? Mm-hmm. I've really never found that to be true. I have not found, I mean, maybe they were like, and I didn't know they were, but I mean, to my knowledge, I have not found that to be an issue. And if I would say, if anyone feels that they need to tear down another woman, I would say, look right inside yourself, girl, because there's something going on in here. Mm. You know, the world is big enough for all of us. And even though the there are a few slots, you know, you're not going to get there by making somebody else less. You're right. going to get there by making yourself more. You can earn, you know, your way 
to wherever you want to go. So, but I, but I know I need it. Like these words of encouragement or somebody says, Hey, I saw you do that. And I thought it was really impressive. Don't underestimate how important it is to tell somebody that they did a a really good job, you know, to say that was amazing, you know, Kat, the way you pulled that off. And, you know, we got from this sort of market recognition to this sort of, you know, market recognition and net promoter scores and whatever you want to measure. I love that. I love what you're saying because I think that I've recently had this experience where I've had, I've had, it was really flattering, but some women asked me to be their mentors and I was like, holy shit, yeah. like, do uh, they even, do they uh, even know what's going on in here? Right. And uh, what they told me was like, oh, like you're so confident and you've done so much and you really like, you know, you pulled people through the the battlefield and it's crazy because I, I think people don't realize when you, when you're talking to a confident woman who's, you know, had some great accomplishments, they think, oh, she doesn't need to hear that she, that we'd like to think she did. Right. But it was so impactful, right. To hear like, oh, like you really, so, cause people don't see what's going on inside. Right. They don't see that. Like maybe you were tough in a conference call or whatever and did a big thing, but then you kind of cried about it in the bathroom. Right. (laughs) Right? Which maybe that's just me, but it it really, it's so impactful to hear those things. It's true. And I hope that, you know, people, as they think about leadership and and female leadership, there is a place and a time to say, hey, look, I like just talk about your feelings. Like you can say, look, I my feelings are hurt because somebody Mm -hmm. said this and words are powerful. And then you feel like you should be above all that or you should be beyond it or so, you know, whatever. But we're just people. Right. And my job is not a job. My career is not even really a career. I think of it as the way that I express myself creatively. You know, I'm not, I can't paint. I don't, <laughs> I, you know, I don't I, have any skills either. So this I is don't sing. I have no, you know, I have no other skills, but I love solving problems and I, I love the power of, of information in, in healthcare. And I love helping people. I love building teams. I love helping people rise up in their own, you know, career and, Creating something out of nothing just because it's a business is still an act of creation. So it's a creative process for me. And it, this type of thing is really brings me a lot of joy. I'm very grateful for this. Awesome. Well, we have been chit-chatting for almost 60 minutes straight. I have one. Well, I actually have two more questions for you, but I add them together because I like to take the edge off because I'm going to make you tell, I'm going to make you tell everyone about something amazing you have accomplished, but you can say before, after what is like your biggest bomb? Yeah, I was thinking about this and I thought of a very philosophical answer, Kat, that was going to be, you know, I don't think I've had any failures because everything is just a lesson, but I have had failures and I've had the biggest, sort of the biggest business case, hard case I can think of was when I was about a year into my consulting business and I had sold a, a pretty big project to a large health system and I had no way to actually deliver the project like it needed it needed five or, or so people who had some specific technical expertise. And I was using my network and I said, hey, do you have like people that have these skills? And this person said, yes. So I contracted and go into delivery. Well, it turns out those people either weren't available, were incompetent, dropped the ball, any number of things. Bottom line, I could not deliver mm. on the And, you know, the wheels were falling off and I was trying to kind of make it. And I was so mortified. I thought, you know, this 
doesn't ever have, you know, people don't do this. People don't put their name. I don't put my name on something and not deliver. I always do what I say, Mm -hmm. but I had just gotten a little bit over my skis. You know, what I did, what it forced me to do was have an honest conversation with the client and say, look, I'm sorry. I had these resources lined up. I thought we were going to be able to deliver in this timeframe and we can't. And I'm sorry. And it hurt so bad. And then I just had to let it go. But I felt like a total incompetent buffoon. Mm. But, you know, what I learned from that was a little bit more about how to think through. uh, It's not really a trust issue, but sometimes your suppliers or your other labor people, it does fall apart. I mean, sometimes it happens. So that was a big one. And it was my name, my company. So it kind of hurt. But it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, they were like, well, okay. You know, you sort of suck. But, you know, not the end (laughs) of the world. that's a good outcome. That's a good outcome. That wasn't the end of the world. And I was terrified because I thought I'll never get another client. They'll call everyone in the universe and say, don't ever contract with her and her company because she'll drop the ball. But that didn't happen. And it was right. it was a unique situation. In terms of my, you know, a big victory or a win for myself, I, the, the thing that I thought about that too. So I thought about, oh, what I'm going to say that'd be like the biggest numbers associated with it'd be awesome. Look great on a spreadsheet. And I've done some of those things. But the, the thing that has the most personal value to me, business accomplishment is... When I was running strategy at MD on, you were working, I think, helping us at the time. But I had this passion for electronic funds transfer replacing paper checks. And I think I still have that paper check on the up here. But sometimes healthcare requires legislation and regulation to actually change mm-hmm. and adopt a technology. So it was when the Affordable Care Act was, was getting written and I was able to work with a lobbyist go to Washington, just like on Schoolhouse Rock. I'm just, a, you know, I loved it. <laughs> and there's one paragraph in the Affordable Care Act uh, Administrative Simplification Provision that I wrote. And I figured out that $11 billion with a B was wasted every single year because payers were reimbursing providers, you know, or on a paper check basis. And that was because of industry inertia to just take electronic funds transfer, just like you and I. I do with direct deposit. Doctors and hospitals weren't taking that from payers and it was costing $11 billion a year. And, you know, putting that into human terms at the time, that would have vaccinated every girl in the world Hmm. from zero to 18 with the three-part Gardasil vaccine for cancer that was new at the time. That's how much money that is related to a human. And that made a difference. It made did make a difference. A difference. It and did then make a difference. And, and I'm, I'm going to accelerating it. Yeah, I'm going to interrupt you and say that um, to this day, the the U.S. Healthcare Efficiency Index, which was part of your advocacy campaign to to get that done, to get that to get that policy written, is still kind of a classic example in public affairs and PR agencies of like this was an amazing thing that this team pulled off, right? And they did all of this advocacy work and like very impressive. I still talk about it to this day too. Whenever someone's like, we need to make a law or something like that. And I was like, well, yeah. About what Miriam Paramore did. (laughs) Yeah, you know, you don't think about it. You think you, so it's a great, it's a great use case. Here here I am, Mm -hmm. Southern girl. (laughs) (laughs) Raised by a pastor. So, so educate, you know, 
Blah, blah, blah. But the, you actually, you can do it. Like you can do it. You can go to Washington and find a way to talk to the right people and you can make a case and it can happen. And, you know, I'll wave my flag and everything. God bless America. But <laughs> that ties it all together for me. You know, the network, HEMS, understanding legislation and regulation, how to, how policy impacts our healthcare practice, public relations, government affairs, investor relations, telling your story, what you do, what you help companies do, build company success, have an exit like you did, changes people's lives, putting technology out there, taking $11 billion of absolute waste, mm-hmm. let's transfer it into healthcare or vaccines or, you know, food yeah. or something. Do the and good things. Do the good things. All, we can all do that. And it's okay to do that in business and be a businesswoman and be proud of yourself. So again, it just gives me a lot of joy to, to be able to share that. Listen, that was the best wrap up I've ever heard. Thank you for handling that for us. That was amazing. (laughs) I got excited. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Miriam. You're awesome. We've talked forever, which I obviously love. I'm sure everyone else loves it too, but thank you for for spending some time with us. This has been super fun. We hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. And we hope to continue finding creative ways to connect and celebrate each other. If you're on Clubhouse, you can find me and Sharice there every Tuesday and Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific time in the Hit Like a Girl pod club room, which is new. All right. In the meantime, be well. Talk soon. 